This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comics show here on Trek FM. I'm your host Matthew Rushing and how is it going today Dan? I'm, I'm really excited that you're here and uh, I'm wondering how's it going up there in Canada because I know that they've had some really bad weather on the east coast. <laughs> um, what's the weather like up there? It's actually been uncharacteristically mild for the last month or so. Uh, we've had really warm temperatures, yeah, warm for northern Alberta, Canada. But uh, yeah, it's been a really mild winter. Kind of odd, really. Yeah, you know, this is my first winter here in Seattle, the area, and I had nothing uh, to, to judge it off of. So as far as I know, it's normal, uh, but it hasn't been too bad. I mean, it's it's generally been in the 40s-ish, you know, uh, and rain. There's lots of rain. But that also means there's plenty of snow in the mountains. And uh, my wife is a snowboarder, and I'm hoping to be able to get back into that nice. uh, sometime. Yeah, I would love to be able to get back out in the snow. I really miss it. So Excellent. Well, I'm a, I'm a long-time skier, so... Awesome. Awesome. How long have you been skiing? Oh, since I was about three years old. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, you definitely beat me. I didn't learn until I was in junior high, but picked it up pretty quickly. And then after a year or so, picked up snowboarding and just ended up loving it and sticking with it. Um, so, uh, and it's better for my knees than skiing is. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, oh, there's nothing like being out there and some fresh powder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, before we get off onto some serious sports ball type talk, uh, sporting <laughs> events, outdoors activities, which this is not that type of podcast, we just have a little bit in news today. One of the things is that our friend John Jackson Miller's newest book and first official book, because he did the ebook beforehand, so it's first official Star Trek book is out now, and Takedown is that book, and it's the epic showdown between Captain Picard and wait, oh, Admiral Riker. That's right. That's Admiral to you, sir. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, it, I've been really excited about this book ever since first hearing about it, and I've had the opportunity to read the first few chapters, and it looks like it's going to be a good one. Well, I haven't gotten into this one yet because uh, I'm still about, actually, I'm about to start the next book we're going to do for Literary Treks, and then I have The Missing 
And then right after that, I mean, we just have one after the other, just in quick succession. I have takedown. So I have a lot, I have like three books to read in two weeks. <laughs> so lots to do <laughs> for literary text, but I can't wait. One, because I'm very excited. I, I really enjoy John Jackson Miller and his style. And I've I've also been a big fan of his Star Wars work too. I've read his his Knight Errant series for comics, and then his Kenobi book is fantastic. I'm really excited to get into this one, and and mainly just because of the subject matter. I mean, Picard and Riker going head to head. Now, I don't know who who do you think would win. I don't know. That's a tough question. I mean, Picard's got the experience, but Riker's got that famous tactical mind. I don't know where John Jackson Miller's taking this one, but I'm really eager to find out. I think that I would fall down on the case of Admiral Riker actually winning, because I think that Riker is maybe willing to take some risks that Picard isn't. And he's a very famous, obviously, poker player, and therefore I I think all those things, as great as Picard is and his Picard maneuver, uh, I don't think... Picard straightening his shirt is going to help him uh, <laughs> when he's going up against the Riker maneuver. Fair enough, so. yeah. No, there's definitely that. I, I feel like Picard would definitely try to take a diplomatic route, try and talk Riker down. I don't know if Riker would go for that, so I think you might be right on that one. Well, and I mean, if especially if they were just talking over the view screen, I, even even across the view screen, I, I think that uh, pulling the Riker maneuver and propping his leg up on something <laughs> might just be enough of a, just a vibe for Picard to be affected. So, uh, oh, definitely, you, you never know. Um, <laughs> well, the next thing we have in news, this was pretty exciting, came uh, across the Babel conference, and Alec Peters our friend from the Star Trek Axanar podcast and the Axanar creator had posted on their own forum. Will Wynn shared this with everybody in in our group. There's going to be an Axanar book that's going to be coming out, uh, a anthology of stories about the Axanar four-year war, and it's going to collect six short stories, one on each character that we saw in the prelude to Axanar. Who's going to be writing this? Well, according to this little teaser that's been released, uh, all the information we know is that current Star Trek authors will be writing it, and New York Times best-selling authors, which obviously lately have been one and the same. So I'm really curious to see who will be contributing stories to this collection. I'm really interested to see how this is all going to play out too, especially with Pocket. I'm wondering if they're going to be working in concert with them, with Star Trek Axanar, if it's going to be something that's officially licensed, or if they'll only be using characters from the Axanar project. That way they can kind of get around those licensing issues. So Mm -hmm. I'm very interested to see how this plays out. But the way that they have this shown, even if you go check it out on the Babel conference, you can see the post there that Will sent. And the book is a hardcover book with a slip case. It looks very beautiful. I don't think that's the final cover, but even just the preliminary you know, book and, and cover and slip case are fantastic. I mean, something you might actually just put on your you know coffee table for people to be able to look at. So if this is the kind of product they want to go with, uh, that's, I want it and I want it now. <laughs> Definitely. It looks very, very tempting. I, I've, 
been generally wary of fan productions, but I saw Prelude to Axanar, and I've shown it to as many people as I can, and they've all been really impressed. I'm really looking forward to this finished product, and this book is just icing on the cake. I Two of my favorite loves coming together, Star Trek and books. That's why I read them all. <laughs> Well, what I love, too, is, you know, I was listening to the podcast the other day, and they were doing their year in review, uh, Robert Burnett and Alec Peters, and they were talking about all these things, and I just love that both of those guys are huge fans of Star Trek books, mm-hmm. and they see the validity of the books for the fans, and, and, and how, you know, when you're an ardent fan, the TV show wasn't enough, and especially now, it's it's our place to get the prime universe mm-hmm. and they really understand that they get that and the passion that alec has and that robert meyer burnett has is just uh, unparalleled um and kind of wished these were the guys behind star trek in general because this is a product that um i think w- you could just get so much out of it, it reminds me of tos new bsg kind of put together almost mm-hmm. and i i really like where they're going with it and I highly recommend that you check out the Axonar podcast if you haven't done that. Uh, it, it's fantastic. So Yeah, I'm definitely very excited about this. It's clear that everything they're doing is a labor of love, and it shows. Well, and, you know, there is something to be said for people who really, truly love something. You know, sometimes they don't make the best product. But I think these guys, and what we've seen from Prelude, really shows that mm-hmm. not only do they love it, but they're good at their craft. And Definitely. those two things together are, are dynamite. So I'm excited about this one. Yeah, me too. Very, very impressive. Well, the last thing we have in news today was Voyager just celebrated 20 years of Caretaker's anniversary. So 20 years ago, Voyager had premiered by now. It's crazy to think that I am that old. <laughs> there you go and, again, Matthew, making me feel oh. old. Yeah, it's it's insane. Um, by the way, do you remember watching the, the premiere? I do, absolutely. Uh, upstairs in my parents' house uh, 20 years ago. Gosh, that's hard to imagine. Same here. You know, me and my sister, we, we watched it. You know, we were, uh, at that point, we had become DS9 fans. And then, um, obviously, Voyager was coming on. So we were very excited about that. And, of course, every week we were getting two Star Trek shows in one week at that point too fantastic so I thought it would be interesting you know with this caretaker anniversary to just talk about some of our favorite Voyager books and even if you had a favorite like you could pick out this is my very favorite Star Trek Voyager book well Matthew I have a few that I've really enjoyed over the years Um, I remember one of the first Voyager novels I read, I actually really enjoyed. It was one of the numbered novels, and it was called The Escape by uh, Dean Wesley Smith and Christine Catherine Rush. I really enjoyed that book. But if I were to pick a favorite from all of the Voyager books, it would have to be Children of the Storm uh, by Kirsten Beyer from the latest kind of Voyager relaunch that she's been doing. That novel was incredible i absolutely loved it i i think for me my favorite voyager book was the eternal tide mm, by kirsten yeah. Beyer, and i just loved everything she was doing with that novel and it's not everybody's favorite but i just for me it just stood out and it, the way that it kind of set that course that 
and protectors right mm-hmm. after it uh, and, and what they really did with the character of Janeway. What Kirsten was able to do in deconstructing that character and kind of building her back up, I, I thought was the best work that I'd ever seen. Um, and, of course, everything that Byra has done with the character of Tom Paris, I think, has been fantastic as well. Mm-hmm. Now, if I was going to talk some kind of sentimental favorites, uh, which uh, we have talked about recently on the uh, show here with Char from To the Journey. To the Journey! (laughs) To the Journey! (laughs) We talked about Mosaic, and I remember when that book came out and it being kind of a watershed moment because it's the first time that a creator of Star Trek... Had actually written a book, and and it was considered canon. Mm -hmm. And even though rereading it, there's a lot of it I don't just... I wouldn't consider it one of the greats. It's kind of a sentimental favorite for me. So Mm -hmm. that's one of those Voyager books that I think, you know, even if it's not the best, that and Pathways are are something that you really just kind of have to read. Definitely. I, I still haven't gotten around to reading Mosaic, unfortunately, but I did read Pathways many years ago, and I remember really enjoying that book and just getting a little bit more insight into each of the characters and their backstories. And especially, like you said, coming from one of the creators, it just lends it that, that much more credibility, and I really loved it. Definitely. I, and and I, I recommend that, I mean, I, I think we even talked about that on the show I recommend that people read Mosaic because of of the connection that it has with Jerry Taylor and everything that she kind of put into that book does inform especially that early Janeway that we get in the show. And so as everybody is celebrating 20 years of Caretaker and kind of going back and watching the early seasons, I've seen a lot of people doing that on the Babel Conference and, and also on Twitter I, I suggest go back and read Mosaic. I think uh, you'll enjoy it because it really does kind of fit within that early framework of, of Voyager. So, mm-hmm. Well, that's all that we have for news today. But before we go, we'd like to talk to you about our sponsor, Audible. That's the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from. And they have new books that come out each week. So just like you would at a bookstore, you have brand new audiobooks coming out every week there on Audible. And you've got classics, current bestsellers, even more famous Star Trek books too. Uh, there's a lot of them out there. Mosaic is one of them. You've got Prime Directive, Federation, Spock's World, those great classics in the Star Trek lit canon. Audible has something for everyone, and as a Trek and Film listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today to catch up on all of those classic Star Trek books that you've wanted to read, plus those newest novels that are coming out from your favorite author. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for their support of Literary Treks and the network. Well, Dan, we are going to be continuing our series in the Slings and Arrows saga that we have been doing, and we finally reached the penultimate book in the series uh, as we're working our way towards First Contact, and this one is A Weary Life, and the quick summary is that a team from the Enterprise, Riker LaForge, and the new security chief, Daniels, are sent to deal with the latest threat from the Maquis. For LaForge and Daniels, it's just another mission, but for Riker, he must face the specter of his transporter twin 
Thomas Riker, who left Starfleet to join the Maquis. And if we remember at this point, he had already been captured because he had tried to steal the Defiant on Deep Space Nine. Right, yeah. When the Enterprise team finds itself caught between the Maquis and the Cardassians, Riker finds himself with an important decision to make, one that may affect his future in Starfleet. Well, Dan, this was one of the first forays into ebooks for Pocket. You know, they had done the Starfleet Corps of Engineers, they had done some of the uh, New Frontier books, but this was really one of those big series that they decided to do as a, just kind of a celebration of the next generation. And kind of filling in that gap, that whole year that happens between generations and first contact, and kind of trying to explain some of the changes that we had seen. Um, had you read the rest of the the series? Uh, I have started the series now because uh, we're doing this read through on literary treks. I have only read the first book though so far, and of course this book in preparation of the show for the show. Uh, so. Books uh, two, three, and four I haven't gotten to quite yet. What did you end up thinking about? You know, the first book, and then and then obviously you're jumping ahead, but a, a weary <laughs> life. You're kind of your first impressions of the series. Um, pretty interesting. I I always liked the ability of Treklet to kind of fill in the gaps and the missing pieces in the Star Trek universe. And in First Contact, of course, Jordy says we've been in space for nearly a year now. And that first year of the Enterprise E, you know, it's kind of, it's compelling to find out what they did during that year. And with the series, we're kind of getting that. Uh, And this period in Star Trek history is definitely filled with a lot of events over on Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Although, of course, they don't really come into play here at all. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit, you know, on the other side of the galaxy and all. Yeah. And they hadn't figured out that whole pathway thing, but yeah, it's it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, over on Deep Space Nine, I mean, politically, there's a lot going on with the Federation and its dealings with the Dominion and the Klingons. Uh, it's definitely an interesting period in which to set these stories. So I feel like there's a lot that they can play with. Definitely a lot to play with. And obviously, if we were to ask our friends over at Earl Grey, they would mention the fact that Ships the Line really helps fill in this timeline as well ah, right, with yeah. Diane Carey's hardcover book. We won't we won't get into that. They have a whole episode <laughs> devoted to that book, so we'll, we'll let our listeners find out that. I think that we might have both had the same question. When you looked at the cover, who did you think might be involved in this book? Well, of course, on the cover, we've got a a double shot there of William Riker and, of course, Thomas Riker. So one would assume that maybe this story would have something to do with Riker facing off with Tom Riker and and kind of playing those two characters off one another. It is funny. I I thought the same thing. And then strangely enough, uh, Thomas Riker doesn't show up here in the book. Now, we know that he was taken into custody by the Cardassians. But kind of mm-hmm. seeing him on the cover, I figured that he, he had found a way to escape, that he had found a way to, to get out and was back with the Maquis at this point. Mm-hmm. And I think we both were talking before the show on the other side of the page that 
we didn't read close enough in the fact that it's just the specter of his twin that he's really dealing with. And I right. think this was a really interesting thing because as as cool as it would have been to see Tom and Riker kind of go head to head, which we have seen before already, mm-hmm. this was a little bit different because Tom is just kind of the ghost, the elephant in the room everywhere he goes with the Maquis. And that makes for a really interesting storyline, especially for a character like Riker. Definitely. And like the like the back cover piece says, the specter of Tom Riker. And in this e-novella, he really is the specter. Everywhere Riker looks, he sees his brother. He sees the decisions that he made. And the very idea that if he had gone through the same things that Tom went through, he might have made the exact same decisions and ended up exactly where he is now. What's what's most interesting is the, the last time that I really remember having a, a kind of a discussion about Riker and, and kind of more of his personal life uh, is with Ali Lavina and that kind of relationship that he had had with her a long time ago. Um, you know, between that time with Deanna the first time, and then obviously Deanna now being his wife. And that's the last time I I can really remember getting into that character of Riker and and really, I don't know, in some ways, finding out about his emotional being. You know, most of the times I feel like when we talk about Riker and his, his deeper character, it has to do with his relationship with Deanna, but it's not really just about him as a character. No, uh, Matthew, you're absolutely right. Riker's kind of a character that doesn't get a lot of exploration, at least in the books that I've read. You know, you have your Datas and your Wharfs, and and the more kind of, I don't want to say interesting characters, but the characters that are a little more fun to write about, I would imagine, definitely get a lot of play. But Riker is someone that we don't get a lot of exploration of. You know, that's true, and I feel like you know, if, if I had really gotten into Deny Thy Father and I haven't got a chance to read that Lost Era book yet, you know, that might be a place where we kind of get more into Riker because it, it's it's really about his father and the, the strange relationship he has with his son. And so those are the places where we do get into Riker, but he becomes so closed off in a way that, uh, you know, I, I loved that this book, we get to that genuine emotion of Riker dealing with something that would be very difficult. And that is that there is another person out there who has made a choice that would you make it if you were in their position? And the reason you're asking yourself that is not only is it a good extrapolation to kind of play out and put yourself in somebody else's shoes, but this is literally somebody who, for a lot of his life, is just like Riker, is the exact mm-hmm. same person. And then there's that deviation. That's a mind-blowing kind of thing for, for Will Riker to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Well, in the Deep Space Nine episode, Defiant, we kind of got Tom Riker's side of it, right? Trying to live up to this person that is his sort of brother, Will Riker, and the reputation he's built over years and trying to meet those expectations and be the good officer like Will is. And now in this story, we kind of get the other side of it. The choices Tom Riker has made, Will Riker is really coming face to face with 
who he is as a person and what he believes and what he might stand up for given the chance or the or the if the situation were different i think there's a tendency with this kind of story or these kind of emotions to kind of take a superficial not very deep perspective about it but what i like about this book is they really kind of plumb the depths of this issue and a lot of the conclusions or a lot of the exploration feels really mature and really deep and adult to me if that makes sense oh definitely and because the fact that they're dealing with the maquis they're going to get into those kind of questions as well and Riker is almost worried that he might fall into the same kind of trap that he sees you know his quote-unquote brother falling into of of wanting to believe in something the way that that Tom did like he does with the Maquis. Like he finds the thing he wants to fight for. And and Riker is actually worried about himself in saying, well, if if he could do it, am I at risk as well? And that is such an interesting introspective question for, like we said, a character that we don't see a lot of that out of. It kind of makes me wonder what would happen if Riker had been a character on Deep Space Nine. You know, he's very Kirk-like, and yet I feel like we might have just gotten a little bit more of those um, those things that you might kind of consider to be vices in some way. You know, Riker likes to gamble. Uh, he does enjoy the ladies, and uh, would have been much interesting. In fact, they even make a joke because the Enterprise is headed to Deep Space Nine, and... Riker is a little bit perturbed that he's having to go on this mission because he's not going to get to visit Quirks. Uh, and, uh, you know, win at Dabo and obviously probably visit the Hollow Suites with some uh, fantastic programs uh, that uh, Quirk has running there. So I just think it's very interesting because this is a character who, even on the next generation, underneath the surface, had some things about him that would have been really interesting if they had decided to kind of dig a little bit deeper and what's great about a weary life is that we really do get an inside look at just how emotional this roller coaster has been for will of finding out that he's been duplicated and worrying about you know what's happened to his brother even though he's very angry with him and again i say brother in quotes because it's not really Mm. his brother so much And, obviously, you know, Tom has used his connection with Will in a way that reflects poorly on on Will. And Mm -hmm. so I I think all these things together, the way that we discuss it in the book and the way it plays out is really fantastic. I'm kind of hoping that Takedown has some of those um, moments for Riker where we really see him uh, kind of struggle with what it's meaning to be a admiral at that point so because he's an Mm. interesting character i mean honestly i think he's the closest to kirk that we have in the 24th century uh and i'd like to see that maverick uh, out just a little bit out of the bag um, a lot more um because uh he's he's a really interesting character I, i actually one of my favorites from the next generation yeah i agree um like i kind of mentioned earlier it's probably more fun to write for some of the more alien characters or, you know, a lot of the more, 
out there characters, but Riker represents kind of a lot of facets of humanity, if that makes sense. Uh, both good and I, I wouldn't say bad, but you know, more, like you said, maverick, more kind of, you know, if Picard's the refined diplomat, Riker's kind of more of the cowboy and that's an interesting character. And I like when that gets explored and what does that mean? You mentioned bringing Riker into the deep space nine world. That would have been very interesting because I feel like the enterprise is a very safe place for someone like Riker. Sure. You can have poker games, but you're not actually losing money to your friends and stuff because they don't use the money. I guess they just have poker chips that represent goodwill yeah that that Riker has more of them than you (laughs) yeah they're gonna start a new economy so that's right (laughs) maybe they they trade nine you know maybe they trade like uh you know replicator rations or something I don't know (laughs) duty shifts or something yeah (laughs) but on deep space nine you know if I I think Quark could take him for a lot of money if Riker let him. (laughs) Deep Space Nine might be a little more dangerous place for someone like Will. And that's something that would have been really interesting is that they had added Thomas Riker to, you know, Deep Space Nine for a while. And I think that's Mm -hmm. actually, I know that Jonathan Frakes would have loved to have played Thomas Riker again and been on Deep Space Nine as much as they wanted him to be. So mm-hmm. it's just something that they never did with the character. And it's definitely unfortunate, I think. But of course, then we add Worf onto the show and it's probably a little bit too much to to try and bring over a character of, uh, especially Thomas Riker. I, I, I think they, they kind of put him in a box, literally in a Cardassian prison and mm-hmm. they just kept him there if, in case they ever wanted to pull him back out again and, and they didn't feel the need to, so... Yeah. No, definitely. I I remember when uh, the Next Generation episode, Second Chances, first came out. I don't know if I'm misremembering this, but I remember a rumor or something that came out after the fact saying that they had seriously considered killing off Will Riker and having Thomas Riker be a main character on TNG and uh, how into that idea Jonathan Frakes was, apparently. And I think that would have been kind of cool, breathing new life into that character and have him play somebody at a different stage in his life than Will Riker was. Yeah, I think it would have been more conducive to what somebody like Jonathan Frakes kind of wanted to do. You know, it would have been harder for him to play. It would have given him more of a challenge. You know, Riker's not really a challenge because in some ways I think he's very much like Jonathan Frakes. You know, he's easygoing, he's quick-witted, uh, he, he enjoys um, a good laugh and, and a good time. And uh, I think Thomas Riker would have had more angst, basically. And because of his background, they would have been able to add that into the show. Whereas with William Riker, you don't really have that as much. So mm-hmm. He's a little more settled, a yeah, little more exactly. seasoned. <laughs> well, and he's just very comfortable in his own skin. You know, mm-hmm. Riker, for all that's happened to him, in his life with his father and all that for the most part is a pretty well-adjusted person you know he Mm. doesn't have those things going on so it would have been a really interesting thing what did you end up thinking of the other part of the story where we involved LaForge and then of course our new security officer Daniels who we didn't really know and we really don't get to know obviously in first contact what did you think about having those three characters together on this adventure I thought it 
created kind of an interesting dynamic. You've got the the two characters who've worked together for years and kind of have this back and forth that's really easy. And then you've got this new character, Daniels, who's kind of coming in and uh, changing that dynamic a bit. And they kind of mention, and again, I haven't read any of the previous books that he's shown up in yet, but they mention how he's not quite as... Uh, chummy with the senior officers as he is with the junior officers and kind of bringing that different dynamic to the crew. Uh, I thought it it's kind of interesting after all these years to shake things up a little bit. Well, and what I really liked, one, was, you know, we just don't get a lot of LaForge in the books. That's in, in true. In general, yeah. like, he, he's just always the character, I mean, it's, it's a kind of like Crusher that we just forget about. And mm-hmm. I just really liked that he had a lot to do in this book. But also, you see that bond that he and Will have. Because they're both kind of very similar people. You know, they're very easygoing. They're fun-loving. Obviously, uh, LaForge doesn't have any luck with the ladies, and Riker has all <laughs> of it. But they have a great friendship, and they have a great working relationship. And the like you said, the ease of that relationship is is something that's been built over, over you know, at this point, over ten years really for the characters. Mm-hmm. Whereas the new security officer coming in, he doesn't have that relationship with either of them, and and Riker's even kind of worried about that in the book. I thought that was interesting. He doesn't know how this guy thinks. You know, he he hasn't spent enough time with him, and and. I love that Picard, like a father, is kind of pushing him out the door with Daniel <laughs> saying, this is the perfect time to learn. You got to learn sometime. Uh, and so, <laughs> but then as they build the that connection throughout the book, I, one, it was I didn't feel like it was forced. Mm-hmm. And two, I felt like the camaraderie that they're able to build here in the story with Daniels made him just a great addition to the crew on the Enterprise E. And unfortunately, we we know he doesn't stay around um, for too long <laughs> mm-hmm. because he dies somewhere. But uh, I really liked that, that whole dynamic, especially with those three playing off each other and, and just kind of the... The jokes that that Daniel starts kind of throwing back at the guys, and and uh, you know the way they both, especially look, in the way they kind of look at him, you know, uh, Riker really comes to respect him, and then of course LaForge looks kind of longingly at the relationship that Daniels has with his wife and the mm-hmm. closeness that they have, and kind of wishing that he had that, which I think that's always Jordy's problem. And, you know, and, <laughs> until recently in the books, so. <laughs> oh, poor Jordy, man. <laughs> Guy just can't get any action. And, and when he no. does, it's a hologram of a real person, which is really awkward. Oh, so creepy. Yeah, so creepy. So, uh, well, before we get bogged down in that, whew, one of the other interesting things in this book is the McKee storyline that we get. And one of the things that they they do is kind of give us a very well-rounded discussion of all of the issues in the Maquis problem, we'll call it. And one of the things that they point out is the fact that, you know, for the, for a while, it was a hot story with the Federation News Service, what was happening with the Maquis, everybody knew about it. And then as time went on, the story just kind of got stale and the news switched their coverage to other things like elections happening and the Federation Council and all that kind of stuff, which 
man, does that hit home or what? <laughs> Absolutely. No, there are a lot of parallels here uh, between this and real life. I mean, you know, think of any news story you've heard in the last few years. And then when do you stop hearing about it, right? I mean, it might still be an issue. There's probably still people dealing with whatever's going on, but the news has moved on to other things that get them more ratings because something new and interesting has happened. It's sad to see that in the 24th century, it's apparently still a problem (laughs) with their uh, 20, however many hours news service that they have, uh, depending on which planet (laughs) you're on. If you're in DS9, I guess it's 26 hours of coverage. Yeah. 26 hour news cycle. There's a, there's a scary thought. (laughs) Oh, geez. (laughs) What's interesting is I thought this was almost kind of a meta comment on Star Trek a little bit. Uh, when the Maquis were first introduced, they were in the, in the Star Trek storyline quite a bit. It came up quite often and it was kind of used to launch Voyager and set up the premise of that show. And then after Voyager, uh, got started, you know, the references to the Maquis became less and less until, you know, Deep Space Nine, season five, Cisco's hunting for Eddington. And you're like, oh yeah, the Maquis are still out there. I forgot. We're, we're hunting Eddington all of a sudden in this episode. Well, and that's one of those things that's so interesting is that, you know, the Maquis do get set up in TNG and it's being used to, to set up what's going to happen in Voyager. But then Deep Space Nine is actually the show that really runs with the Maquis and continues it. You know, mm. Eddington comes on the station, becomes a Maquis member. There's quite a few episodes that happen with the Maquis until that final showdown with Cisco and Eddington. And all of that is really fascinating. But, you know, here we get to actually dive into the discussion of what happened. And I thought this was an interesting conversation that they kept having throughout the book and the arguments became circular in by the end because that's kind of what tends to happen with big political arguments. You tend to be on one side and the other person's on the other. And what was great is Riker kind of comes around a little bit to kind of seeing a little bit more of their point, and so do the Forge and Daniels, I think. Mm-hmm. But the, the Maquis problem of they were basically abandoned by the Federation because the Federation made a treaty with the Cardassians. And what is so interesting is that there's no representation for the Maquis, the people who... Act, and they're not the Maquis then. They're just the people who happen to live in the zone that gets turned in the demilitarized zone. Mm-hmm. And then there's no support for them really afterwards. And it is sad because they have a huge point. These were our lives. These were our homes. And because of political wrangling we just happen to be on the other side of of a you know arbitrary demarcation point yeah no it is very uh it's very tragic i mean what happens to these people and in a lot of ways you know the even the people just living in the zone that don't become the maquis all of a sudden they're branded with the same or sorry uh, they're painted with the same brush because the Maquis are engaging in these terrorist acts or acts that are labeled as terrorist by other people. And everyone who lives in the zone is now automatically apparently kind of part of this Maquis and 
eventually that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because if you're abandoned by everyone else, you're going to join the people who are ostensibly fighting for you. Yeah, exa- exactly. And it is a, it's a really great conversation that they had. And one of the things that I really liked was something that Daniels points out to one of them. And Daniel says, fighting for your sovereignty is all well and good, but you need achievable, realistic goals. And when's the last time that you measured your desires against galactic realities? And what I love about that statement is that what's happening at this point is we have the Cardassian-Klingon War, which we have new ideas at this point This is being sponsored by the founders. And, mm. the Car- and the Klingons have been actually supplying the Maquis at this point. They are being reminded over and over again by Riker and and LaForge and Daniels that, you know, the Klingons, even though they're helping you now, they're basically just using you as cannon fodder. And if it comes to war with the Dominion, which the looming presence of the Dominion is very big at this point, even though in first contact we're about to hit with the Borg as well, (laughs) you know, there's a lot more going on here than just this little fight. And I liked that... Somebody reminded these people that they have a choice in the end. They don't have to be here. There's mm-hmm. an entire galaxy for them to choose from. And moving your home, you know, in in the state of things, what we know later on is that the Maquis get completely wiped out by the Dominion once they're allied with the Cardassians. Mm-hmm. And... It's it's a sad thing because somebody didn't take this advice. The Maquis didn't take this advice, measuring what they wanted against the realities of what's actually happening in the galaxy. And it's a it's a terrible, sad thing that's going to happen to them. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. There's no easy answer, and that's what I love in this book is the there's no pat answer you know Riker comes back very troubled um I don't want to I don't want to take the entire book and spoil it because I think the end and I think this book is really worth reading for everyone but it's one of those Star Trek books that hits real close to home with some points Mm. and it doesn't leave you with all right and we all were laughing on the bridge afterwards (laughs) Definitely. The Maquis is one of those issues in Star Trek that I think transcends a lot of the black and white, uh, good and evil, wrong and right issues, I should say, that you get in a lot of uh, fiction or science fiction, especially. Uh, And I feel like this story is one of the few that really uses that premise to its full advantage and really does examine what it's like for the people living in the middle of that situation. And for that alone, I think this is a really worthwhile story. Definitely. So kind of rounding out, what would you rate this book, do you think? Well, there were a few things in the story that detracted from it a little bit. There were a few uh, language choices and that kind of thing. Uh, One thing that I thought of was um again i don't want to spoil the entire novel but they're having to pick up some item from the maquis they're going to confiscate from them and they go into the mission not even knowing what that item is and then they get the cargo and they don't even look at it 
and it turns out that it was a ruse and they didn't get the actual item and LaForge says something along the lines of oh I didn't even uh, I didn't even have a chance to look at it I don't know and just a few little story items like that that pulled away from it a little bit for me but again the story is incredibly worthwhile because of the larger issues the points that it talks about the emotional investment we get in Riker and the issues with the Maquis so I'm going to have to probably give it um, four out of five cargo crates of useless junk (laughs) (laughs) I love that that's awesome you know yeah, I think you really said everything about the book. On a whole, this is a very good, very strong story. And and like great Star Trek, I think obviously and honestly, it's much closer to kind of a Deep Space Nine type story that we might see where you're left with that feeling of, of unease at the end because not everything is happy. And one of your characters, Riker, is really left kind of in turmoil. And whether or not there might be a black mark on his record because of the way that he handles the mission and what he decides to do when it comes to the Maquis and all, it's very, very interesting. And you can see the influence of the Deep Space Nine storyline in the background seeping its way into the Enterprise story and how the writers are really kind of picking up on that. I love it. I think that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. And so... For me, I, I think that I would just rate this uh, three and a half out of five downed Cardassian warships um, Ooh, or fighters. That's a very good really, rating. yeah. So, uh, but I think uh, don't take that as as a as a reason for not getting this. I think it's very well worth reading this book. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I was really wavering back and forth between that three point five and four as well. So I'm kind of right in there with you. But again, I think it's a very important story, and I, I I think it works really well. And like you said, anytime Deep Space Nine and the kind of mature, more mature storytelling is influencing the wider Trek universe, that's a great thing. Well, Matthew, that was a great discussion about the Riker story, A Weary Life. Yeah, I you know... I think that this is a is a book that that people will really respond to if they decide to pick up, and it makes me very excited for what we've got coming in, in countdown and seeing Riker continue. I, I'm really hoping that as we're going to get more Titan stories as well, that this character is really going to continue to mature and grow. Uh, in, in the same way that I feel like I've really seen the character Picard over the last few years in the books just become somebody that you know i was never the biggest picard fan but where they have taken him in the books making him a family man and all those kind of things i think that warmth that they've given him is just something i really enjoy in his like relationship with chen and those kind of things Mm -hmm. he's become a more open and, and just a more vibrant character through the books and i'm hoping that they'll continue to really open that up with Riker and uh, who knows the sky's the limit Uh, Trek books have just been fantastic for years and in a lot of ways I feel like uh, the best is yet to come as uh, Vic Fontaine might say (laughs) definitely based on my reading of the uh, first few chapters of Takedown I I think you won't be disappointed uh, again based on just the beginning of the book so I, I can't speak for the rest of it but 
it looks like we're getting some Riker love. Awesome. Well, it has been a blast talking about A Weary Life, but it is not the only thing that we have been talking about on Trek FM the past week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Because it's, it's actually legitimately trying to say something. Yes, very Star Trek. It may be the most Star Trek of all Star Trek. Yeah, it's definitely what I would point to as being, this is what science fiction is about. Earl Grey. Kovac will tell us to experience Bij sometimes, in which case we will draw the Bij card, Klingon word for pain. Is so, it birthday? It is. It is. It, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. To the journey! That's the one thing we could take from Homecoming is like paragraph one, Chakotay and Seven break up. That's for real. Yeah, they that shake happened. hands and go, hey, it's been fun. It's been nice. Thanks for the picnic. Eh, see ya. Commentary, Trek stars. Fair At this enough. point, like they could say, yeah, why not? Star Wars crossover. I would, I would essentially say, fine. Both franchises are dead. Let's just sew them together and see what happens. Melodic Treks. One of the most well thought out alien races that you only see in one episode. Yeah, and the music is, is it's menacing without being over menacing, if that makes yeah. sense. Axonar, the official podcast. I think Justin Lin is a, is a fascinating choice to direct because the Fast and the Furious movies, even though, yeah, they're action, adventure, road race movies, are really about a family. The 602 Club. That's really cool, though. I mean, I, I think that is uh, a fantastic way to get to see just about any movie is, is kind of being able to watch it through a kid's eyes. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you are an Apple user, hit that subscribe button. What it does is it helps other fans be able to find the show when they're searching in iTunes. Also, the same thing happens with star ratings and reviews. So if you get a chance, we'd love it if you would just go into iTunes and give us a star rating review. If you do, we'll definitely give you a shout on the show. And then, of course, if you're from another country, please let us know because it's not easy for us to switch through the stores. I literally have to go in and change the store, which pulls all this stuff from iTunes. It takes a while. Just let me know because I'd really like to say thank you to you on the show. You deserve it. If you're not an Apple user, guys, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Another way that you can help keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trekfm, you'll find all the current goals and milestone contribution levels, along with great perks that we have for you. That includes early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats in the content development team, and more. We are a listener-supported network. And honestly, without you guys, we can't do this. Uh, The money that it takes and the time that it takes for us we just don't have it all. So we appreciate all your support and any that you can give us means so much to us. So thank you. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek FM. 
If you'd like to contact us, you can do that at trek.fm slash contact. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speedpipe.com slash trek.fm. We are on Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and of course we have the listeners-only discussion group there, the Babel Conference. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the search field on Facebook, or just go to the website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. We'd also like to thank Will Wynn, one of our associate producers, who's on Twitter at Will underscore Wynn, and of course in the Babel Conference. He's also the associate producer of The Orb, Oral Gray, and Trek FM's content coordinator. If you do have any ideas for a future show, just send him an email at will.win at trek.fm or a tweet. We'd also like to thank Lisa Stevens for her support of the network and being an associate producer here on Literary Treks, and you can find her on Twitter at flip18. And thank you to Kenneth Tripp for his support on the network and being an associate producer for Literary Treks as well. Of course, before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps bring Literary Treks and all of our shows to you each week. And you know who that sponsor is. It's audible.com. It's the best way to read all the books that you've always wanted to and just don't have time for. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up for your 30-day trial today. That's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for its support of Literary Treks and the network. Now, Dan, um, you know, when you're not trying to find a way to head over to Quarks and see what Holodeck programs he's got for you, where can we find you? Well, Matthew, you can find me online. My website is www.treklet.com, and on that site I review Star Trek novels, both old and new. The new reviews of new novels also get republished on trekcore.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at trekletreviews, and I'm also on Facebook, facebook.com slash trekletreviews. And Matthew, when you're not facing down the specter of your evil transporter twin, where can everyone find you? Man, that guy drives me crazy. <laughs> well, uh, when I'm not doing that, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can find me on The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine a lot. In fact, nay, exclusively. Uh, you can also find me on 602 Club, where I'm just talking about all things geeky, We choose a great topic each week, a new topic, and talk about that. In fact, just recently did A Man of Steel, a great discussion there with three other guys. So if you love the film or you hate the film, we've actually got all sides. So check that out. And then, of course, I've got my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long. And read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one. <laughs>